So tonight I want to, to talk a, a bit about really what's, a, a, I think, a critical piece or a central piece of the whole mindfulness project that we're engaged with. And it's a word that you've heard many, many times over the course of the last 48 hours. And that's the quality of kindness. And I hope you've had the sense and the feeling that it, it's a kind of pervasive undertone that's part of an, an inseparable part of all mindfulness practice. Yeah. It's encu encouraged in every, every moment of meeting experience as a, as a kind of attitude that actually is really intrinsic to um, this way of being present to experience that mindfulness is. And it's also, I hope you've, you've got a feel for how it's inherent in the container of the retreat setting, even though sometimes it might, you know, we might be meeting that with a bit of friction because it's not necessarily, you know, obviously this is a, the, the world in which not, uh, things aren't perfect and uh, don't always line up in the way that perfectly suits our particular wants and needs. But there's a real culture here of um, valuing and encouraging and doing everything we can to create a, an atmosphere of kindness um, in, which, in which we can all practice. It's part of the practice here at Gaia House. Um, but we haven't really explicitly talked about it. So just just kind of back up a bit about why we're doing what we're doing, why we're investing all this effort in learning to trying to be mindful. We're not just doing it for the sake of being mindful. I think you know we're 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 practicing mindfulness with a purpose. And our teacher Joseph Goldstein, he he's he's called mindfulness the methodology of wisdom. It's a methodology for approaching, you know, the, some of the really fundamental questions of life. And one of the most, perhaps the most fundamental question is how can I be happy? And Chris this morning quoted Marcus Aurelius, who was the stoic Roman emperor who wrote, uh, wrote his meditations, pondering this question of how to be happy. You know, human beings through every, in every culture, every civilization, every era of history have asked the same question. And when people have really investigated, often they've come up with some quite similar observations. So uh, Chris quoted this, this, um, this saying or this uh, observation from Marcus Aurelius that, that we, we tend to be like puppets dancing on the strings of our impulses and his recognition that that is not a solution to happiness and I think that we're all you know our very presence here and our experience over the last two days has probably reaffirmed that actually just dancing on the strings of our impulses is not uh, a route to happiness we need, as Chris said, some kind of more intentional way of living than that. One of the intentions 
questions that we've been practicing with is the intention to be present, you know, to, to show up for present experience. So the, the, the French uh, mathematician, 18th century mathematician, Blaise Pascal, he, he wrote something which I don't have with me where he talks about the way in which we spend most of our time inhabiting either the past or the future. We're either remembering the past and strategizing about how we can repeat or get back the happy moments that we had in the past or we're imagining how we could be happy in the future and we're strategizing about how to be happy in the future. So we're constantly living in one of those two places and as a result, we're not experiencing happiness now. So there is something about just um, really bringing our life into, into the present that is supportive for developing happiness, but it's not on its own perhaps enough. Yeah. So yes, we're doing this and yes, we're, we're cultivating this uh, practice of grounding, of using our senses and particularly this, the physical sense of the body, just this earthiness of the body uh, to orient ourselves to this present moment experience to bring us home here. But then a, another piece that's equally important in what we're doing is orienting around this quality or this approach of kindness. Orienting, I mean, finding, finding our bearings. And myself, I came to this practice of mindfulness kind of by chance as a teenager, but because I was asking myself already these questions, as many of, many of us probably have been, even since we were children, about how does, what does one do to be happy, especially as we observe that adults around us and the world around us striving in many ways to be happy and quite often making rather a mess of it. And I came across uh, a very well-known teaching from, from Buddhism um, called the Metta Sutta. The Sutta is this word discourse that Chris mentioned yesterday. And Metta is a uh, quality of kindness. And I wrote it into my notebook when I was 15 or 16 and then was so inspired by it, I started finding books I could on <laughs> Buddhism. And that took me to uh, a monastery where I was for first taught about mindfulness. And I thought I'd like to read to you uh, the Metta Sutta. It's not the translation that I had at that time, which was a very old-fashioned one. And this is a, the other end of the spectrum, quite a sort of colloquial translation. But just to give you a, a sense of what the Buddha recommended as a path to a, to a happy life. He said, if you're wise and want to reach the state of peace, you should behave like this. Be upright, responsible, gentle and humble. Be easily contented and need only a few things. Don't always be busy. Control your senses. Don't be exclusively attached to only a few people. Don't do the slightest thing that a wise person could blame you for. 
You should always be thinking. May all beings be happy. Whatever living beings there are, be they weak or strong, big or small, large or slender, living nearby or far away, those who've already been born and those who've yet to be born. May all beings without exception be happy. You should not tell lies to each other. Do not think that anyone anywhere is of no value. Do not wish harm to anyone, not even when you're angry. Just as a mother would protect her only child at the risk of her own life, so, should you, so you should let the warmth of your heart go out to all beings. Let your thoughts of love go through the whole world with no ill will and no hate. Whether you're standing, walking, sitting or lying down, so long as you're awake, you should develop this mindfulness. This, they say, is the noblest way to live. And if you do not fall into bad ways, but live well and develop insight, and are no longer attached to all the desires of the senses, then truly you will never need to be reborn in this world again. So this means being reborn into the world of suffering. So you should let the warmth of your heart go out to all beings. And I really like this, the warmth of your heart is used here to translate this word, metta. This really key word in the, in the Buddhist lexicon, if you like. Metta is a Pali word and it has a Sanskrit equivalent, which is maitri. And that means, it means friendliness. Often it's translated as loving kindness. Uh, for some of us, that's, you know, not, not something that kind of really appeals as a quality or it feels a bit kind of remote and uh, inaccessible. So we also talk about friendliness. And it's the kind of friendliness or love that is independent of mere liking. So it has a, a kind of thing that resembles it, but isn't it which is attachment or that kind of sticky, sticky sort of love that demands things from people or wants something in return. Be happy so that I can be happy, you know, um, keep me happy. Maybe, maybe um, another way of looking at it is as unconditional positive regard. But it's, it's that to me sometimes, I mean, I'm, I'm not a psychotherapist, I'm not trained in, you know, orienting around that concept, but sometimes to me that can feel a little bit distant. This is a very relational sort of quality. And it's a quality of the heart, of the chitta. So um, I don't know if we've mentioned this word, chitta. We, we keep talking about the heart-mind and uh, this, is, this translates the word chitta, which doesn't really have uh, an equivalent in English. So chitta is um, the awareness. Uh, I sort of think of it as a feeling awareness. It's that in us which knows, which knows things, which knows experience, 
which feels it, which receives it, which resonates with it, uh, which can feel our reactions and our responses. So it reacts and responds with thoughts and impulse. It's, it's what forms intention. It's actually what suffers and what, what also rejoices or feels gladness. And the chitta is the third C, ch is a C I T T A. And it's actually the third of the four foundations of mindfulness. And we're not going to elaborate on all of them in this retreat, but we're actually practicing with all of them, you know, whether or not we zoom in, zoom in on them or not. So this sense of being mindful of the state of one's heart mind, of one's chitta, also you know it really um, intrinsic to this practice and the the chitta can be it can be cramped it can be spacious it can be muddied or clouded with hindrances with these these um, obstructive qualities that Chris named for us yesterday of aversion or doubt or restlessness dullness of wanting or it can be clear and radiant. So it's also talked about as it can be developed or undeveloped. It can be trained, cultivated or uncultivated. It can be limited or unlimited. And the quality of metta is something that arises in the heart when it's free from obstructions, when it's free from hindrances. Um, when it's not cramped uh, with limitations. So this is a cultivation. And in the Metta Sutta that I read to you, it actually talks about it, that translation talks about it as, so long as you're awake, you should develop this mindfulness, which is a very accurate translation of the original where it actually uses the word sati which is the word for mindfulness you could almost say that metta could be you could you could imagine it as the fifth foundation of mindfulness yeah the four other foundations and the fifth would be metta so it's a, it's a practice uh, of uh being mindful of the intention around this quality. Mindfulness, this word sati, originally rem means remembering. Remembering what we're doing, remembering our intention, remembering the present moment, remembering the orientation to kindness. So we, we practice this as a recollection and a, a determination. So the, the original text, the language actually means um, one should determine upon this remembering. And it talks about protecting it as a mother might her only child with her life. And this part of the, this, this teaching often um, confuses people because it sounds as if it's suggesting that in order to be practicing this quality, we should be willing to lay down our life for any being at any time. And actually, that's a slight, I, I think that's a slight misunderstanding. What it's saying is that we, we should cultivate, we should cherish this quality of mind or this quality in the heart with as much care as a mother would look after her child. 
So we can hold this as, a, as an orientation. So how do, how do we train in it and cultivate it? How do we cultivate kindness? This was another thing that drew me to these teachings because like many of us, I guess, I grew up in a kind of basically Christian environment in the days when at school you still had to go to assembly and chapel and say prayers and things. And we, a lot of things were held up about very beautiful ideals that I could see I did want to orient, orient my life around being kind and compassionate, but there wasn't much help with how to do it. And I wasn't seeing people around me necessarily being very successful with it. And in this practice, actually, we, we're given, aren't we? We're given some tools about how to start to go about this. But even before thinking about mindfulness, you know, how, how do we learn about kindness in our lives? And I think we, we learn from receiving it. It's not a technique, really. It's something um, that we learn from experiencing it, from experiencing it from others. So actually, it's, it's a transmission. And it's one of the things that um, we do in our practice as mindfulness practitioners and as people who share mindfulness in our work this is one of the most important things that you doing for people is modeling and communicating this quality of kindness you know, so this is a really important thing to be developing for oneself and our practice of mindfulness really is a is is a relational practice so it both externally in relation to other people and internally in relation to what's going on in here because what we're doing is we're, we're cultivating we're learning to have a, a conscious skillful so skillful is a word we use a lot in this in this business of insight meditation and mindfulness and it really means things that are conducive to happiness we're, we're trying to have a, a conscious and skillful relationship with our experience. And this is another, another useful thing to hold in mind because we can tend to think that we're practicing all this in order to get or to have particular experiences. Maybe this is more of a pitfall if you if you kind of see things from a Buddhist perspective and you have this idea of you're doing this to get enlightened. Maybe actually people who are, you know, working with mindfulness to deal with stress and depression or um, different challenges have a uh, less of that pitfall of some kind of, you know, amazing light bulb thing that they're waiting for to have happen in their practice. But we're not doing it in order to experience any particular thing or to arrive at a particular point. We're practicing a way of relating or a relationship to experience. So it's not about, and we, ca we catch ourselves over and over again, I think, you know, coming to a practice, to a sitting, to a retreat, thinking, oh yeah, I want to have this experience or that experience. But actually what we're doing is practicing a relationship to the experience that's here. So yesterday, 
Chris, I loved in Chris's talk, uh, just pointing out that when we really listen to the body, the body will teach us how to be mindful of it. I love that because, you know, we, we, we learn so much and study so much and practice so much, you know, based on ideas of how do you do mindfulness of the body? How do you do mindfulness of the breath? But actually, it's the breath is going to teach you how to be in relationship with it if we really listen. And I think it's a little bit the same with the heart, with the heart. I'm going to keep saying heart now, and I'm really referring to this this um, chitta, to this heart mind. If we listen to it, it will teach us the craft of being with it. So one of the questions that we can ask ourselves is, well, if, if we're researching kindness, how would I like to be treated? So I came up with a little checklist for myself and you can see whether that resonates. So the, the first is to be, to be held in safety. And I love also that image of the quail, you know, that Chris used as either holding it in, it in your hands so that it's contained, but it's not, it's not squashed. So held, held in safety to be acknowledged and be taken an interest in, to be heard, uh, to be accepted as we are, as I am, not to be shouted at or shaken or annihilated, not to be judged and also not to be fixed, you know, not to, uh, to have people say, oh yeah, I've decided that's that's how you are, that's who you are, that's what you are. But rather to be, you know, let to, let to unfold in my process, to be given room to grow and to change. Yeah. So if that's how we'd like to be treated, you know, maybe we can actually treat our experience in that way. Uh, you probably all know the Rumi guest house poem. Yeah. How are we going to treat the guests in our guest house? Maybe we can practice treating them in the way that we would want to be treated. Ajahn Sumedho, who was my, my first teacher, who was the person who probably I first heard the word, word mindfulness from when I'd written my Metta Sutta in my notebook and made my way to a Buddhist monastery, which was the only place you could learn mindfulness in the uh, early 80s in this country, I think. Um, he used to talk about the orphans of consciousness and welcoming back the orphans of consciousness. So we can, we can practice this, these ways of relating in relationship to other beings, but also to the all these bits and pieces in our, these unwanted aspects of our experience in our own mind. And what happens when we do that? It's the famous, the myth of, which again, turns up in every, every time and every culture of what happens when you start befriending a demon, is it, it changes into something friendly, uh, beauty and the beast or the, um, the witch who turns, uh, turns into the princess when you kiss her and so forth. Yeah. So 
this this quality of metta is also taught as an as an antidote to not just to ill will but an antidote to fear you know once we start befriending things or befriending people uh, they cease to be frightening to us there's the closely related quality of compassion which I'll so maybe say a little bit more about in a minute but um Pema Chodron, who's a, a American um, Tibetan Buddhist nun, uh, describes compassion as daring to relax and move gently towards what scares us. Yeah. This is part of the way that we've been practicing kindness uh, with ourselves. So there's, in terms of... Um, contemplating the relationship with our experience the, the three questions that are quite useful that we've been we've been practicing well we've been practicing with all of them really but to keep checking in what's happening now and how does it feel to really uh, notice to acknowledge what's happening now in a holistic and embodied kind of way so how does it feel? Not how does it make me feel, but how does it feel? You know, what's the actual embodied experience that I'm, that I'm having right now? And can I be in relationship with it in a conscious and non-reactive way? So a lot of our practice is, first of all, about letting go of the impediments to this quality of kindness so letting go of our reactivity and it's been really lovely hearing from you in the in the small group meetings of, of many instances of people having difficult experiences I know there have been a lot of physical challenges more than usual more sickness than usual on this retreat and suddenly realizing that actually I can hold this experience of feeling unwell or this particular discomfort in my body um, in, a, in an accepting sort of way. I can make peace with it and actually suddenly it, it changes into something else. It's not, so, it's not so frightening or so worrying. I actually even start to have a friendly feeling towards this sick body or this uncomfortable knee or, or whatever. And then we find that uh, as these impediments are let go of, that the quality of friendliness actually naturally starts to arise. When the mind is happy and resourced and contented, then this quality is really readily available. So it's, it's interesting to me that in this sutta, which is known as the Metta Sutta, Discourse on loving kindness doesn't actually get to this quality of kindness till halfway down. You know, the beginning is all talking about qualities like um, uprightness, humility, contentment, and so on, because it's recognizing that the content and the carefree heart, just as I, I mentioned on the very first evening when I was talking about the kind of ethical parameters of our being together, that the heart that's free from conflict and content easily um, springs forth into an into a, um, attitude of friendliness. A kind of friendliness naturally happens when we're not bothered by something else. 
So part of the cultivation of kindness is about doing this work of seeing and learning to work skillfully with, to relate skillfully to the obstacles to it. And we can also actively plant and water the seeds of it by setting again a clear intention. So there are uh, many of you, most of you probably know of or have practiced different um, befriending practices or practices for cultivating metta or loving kindness. So that might uh, include using phrases of well-wishing, bringing people to mind who uh, help evoke that quality for us, and then sometimes sharing it with people for whom it's a little more um, difficult to access that quality, but orienting ourselves to a specific wish or word or phrase. And then we can always use gestures and things. So at the beginning, I, I suggested smiling to oneself as a way of evoking friendliness. And I find it completely fascinating how when I smile, it's really difficult to think grumpy thoughts and sustain a smile. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how we can flip the switches on these things sometimes. Or, you know, being in touch with the warmth of the heart by actually placing a hand on the heart or a hand on the belly. What's that like? Actually, physiologically, it stimulates the production of oxytocin, which is that maternal hormone, you know. We, ca we can start to do things, not just with thoughts, but with gesture to orient to these qualities. We can use imagery, so the sense of the warmth of the heart or a, a field. So in the, in the early discourses, they talk about radiating, cultivating a, a field, a boundless field of this quality. And we can, we can have the sense of doing that and actually welcoming experiences, these orphans of consciousness or welcoming other people into that field of kindness. So we probably, some of you have said this, not only do we have the visitors of our experience coming into our mind, but we actually probably on this retreat, you know, we're sitting here, but we're not sitting alone, are we? We bring with us all our relationships, all those people in our lives who come into mind and talk to us sometimes, or we might argue with, or just remind us of their presence when we're on our cushion. You know, how are we, how, what kind of relationship are we practicing to them? in the midst of our meditation. So we can do this as an intentional practice, or we can just have this remembering of the quality of friendliness, and then if somebody else, somebody shows up in our meditation, okay, well, how am I relating to this person who's showing up in my meditation? One of the reasons that uh, in MBCT, in many mindfulness courses, these, these practices of uh, deliberate cultivation aren't taught within the course is because they, they are difficult, you know. They, uh, often what happens when we try to evoke this quality is that just what comes up is all the ways in which we're finding it difficult to access it. So, 
part of the practice is to recognize that uh, we don't have we we can still practice even if it doesn't feel like this quality is is kind of coming on tap you know we we're inclining the mind with an intention we're orienting towards a towards a practice but we need to do this with with a, as all the practices that we're undertaking with a gentleness and and um self care So some of the obstacles that come up, you know, the this, this sense of maybe we, we don't see ourselves as a very kind person. You know. It's like we're trying to force ourselves into a, into a suit of clothes or a box that doesn't fit us. Or a deeply ingrained um, program that many of us have running is the sense of somehow not being deserving of kindness. But when you say that to yourself, consciously or unconsciously, who's saying that? You know? It's not a very kind way to orient to oneself. One of the breakthroughs in, in my own kind of development of kindness was when a, uh, I was a new nun and another nun heard me berating myself for something that I'd done, a mistake that I'd made. And she said, would you talk to me like that? I, thought, oh, I wouldn't dream of talking to her like that. And recognizing that we often, the, the, the last person, even though the Buddha said that there's no one in the world more deserving of your kindness than yourself, often, often for many reasons, for many of us, you know, we're the last person we... we tend to feel worthy of our kindness. So this is, is de it's delicate work. It's delicate work. But one of the things that can really help us, um, give us the freedom, the capacity to start to work with it, is the way that we discover through our mindfulness practice that we're not just one thing you know our, my story of me and who I am this undeserving person or this uh, un not particularly skilled at kindness person is a story that manifests in certain moments of our life and actually that our experience is one of changing states of mind the more we watch you know the mind with this personality that I call Jaya or that you each call each of you is a flow of changing processes and we don't have to get so entrenched in a view of these processes are like this and they're always going to be like this and this is who I am there we get we get more in touch with opportunities for intervening and sowing new seeds and creating space in that flow yeah. so as we slow down we get in touch with more of our softness and vulnerability uh, i think that another program a lot of us have running is that in order to be a, a kind of effective and efficient person out there we have to um, stay at speed and uh, override some of this um, this softness, this sensitivity, and this vulnerability in order to be strong and effective and competent. And there are kind of, it's interesting how if you teach a retreat on kindness or compassion or whatever, often very few men sign up for it. 
and uh, it's a sorry it's a sorry thing and there are these kind of stereotypes of what's expected and behavior that get imposed on us and um and we don't have to be bound by these and there are many other things that you know you would offer and you'll find very few women show up and that's a, a profound shame as well so loosening up this sense of a uh, uh, an identity of i'm this kind of person not that kind of person helps get a a toehold in here another a really uh, useful route into kindness and the buddha actually gave this again i think i mentioned this on the first evening as the really beginning of all practice is the practice of generosity it's choosing to follow an impulse of generosity it's really a good and easy route into kindness and actually into happiness i mean how many how many friendships in your life have begun with an act of giving either from you to somebody else or being the recipient we don't have to identify as a kind or an ethical person to have an impulse of generosity even even kind of crooks will be uh, generous to certain people in their lives what's the felt experience of generosity given or received so i uh, there's a story that i came across on the news and that from, in, from the new york times a day or two ago that i r was inspired to want to share with you um i found really really heartwarming about generosity so you probably know that in america right now they've been experiencing this what's called a, p a polar vortex so we think it's cold here but it's been colder there than it's been in many many decades if not uh, on record and i think about 90 million people across the states are experiencing um, this type of weather and in chicago it was one of the places hit by this weather system there are a lot of homeless people and an african-american woman who's just a normal person in her early 30s a, an estate agent um, knew that this cold snap was coming and was thinking about all the homeless people who lived in one of the tent encampments under one of the freeways and you know uh, some of these weather conditions if you're outside for more than you know 10 minutes and you're not wrapped up properly you're going to get frostbite and she thought you know something has to be done about this and she phoned around the local hotels and found a hotel that would give her 30 had 30 rooms available it was 70 dollars a night each and so she from her not very great resources um, paid for 30 70 dollar hotel rooms and housed a hundred homeless people and she put out a, a call on instagram saying she was planning to do this and other people started coming forward with cars to pick them up and drive them from the tent encampment to the homeless shelter and there were pregnant women there and families with young children and so on and she also 
got together care packages with toiletries and um, necessities and some restaurants donated meals and so on. And more and more people heard about this and came on board with it and more money was donated. And eventually the hotel then lowered the price of the rooms and made another 30 rooms available. And so all these homeless people um, arrived at the hotel and were also some of them, you know, they had very rarely had access to a bath or sleeping in a bed and they couldn't wait to, to have a bath and use the bed. And then the cold snap continued and the funds came in and they, they stayed there um, for several nights. And they were really, really appreciative. And uh, this has really inspired and fired up a lot of people, including the state governor and now this young woman who just having decided on an impulse to do this, she's actually got involved in trying to think of ways that actually this problem can be addressed on a more long-term basis. So you just, just from that little or that initial impulse of generosity, you see how many people will have been touched by this sense of kindness, what's going to be the effect on all the people who were the recipients of that unexpected um, kindness and generosity and all the people who participated? And what's it like to, to hear and reflect on stories like that? You know, we don't, we don't get enough of these stories in the media. I think it's not necessarily that these things aren't happen, but happening, but we don't hear about them. So we can, we, we, we feel that, don't we? And for me, when I hear something like that, actually joy arises in the heart. And this is one of the sibling qualities of metta, of kindness, is the quality of joy, of appreciative joy, of being glad about the goodness or the good fortune of other people. So, this quality of kindness comes along with, it's part of a family, and I'm just going to name them quickly because we don't want to talk for too long, but uh, it's part of a family of four qualities which are known as the uh, Brahma Viharas or sublime abodes or sublime abidings or boundless qualities of the heart. So there's kindness, which is kind of the fundamental the fundamental piece is this uh, attitude of friendliness. And then when friendliness encounters good fortune or um, happiness, it rejoices in that happiness. It's not true. If you're, if, you're in a, if you're in a happy space yourself or a kindly space yourself and you see somebody enjoying some piece of good fortune, you start to vibe along with that and the happiness increases. If one's in a cramped heart space, then sometimes the opposite arises, which is envy. Yeah. But we can orient to this sense of rather than having to envy other people's happiness, uh, as if there were not enough to go round, so actually we can, we can kind of tune into it instead and rejoice in it. Uh, so this sense of nourishing the heart with happiness, gladness, again, is something that we've been emphasizing, pointing towards. And the heart that's happy and glad also is better disposed to meet the suffering or the difficulties of life 
with the third of these qualities, which is compassion. So compassion, kindness. Compassion is the flavor of friendliness or kindness that meets um, suffering and difficulty. And then they're all held in balance by the other quality that we've spoken about, which is equanimity, that sense of balance and perspective that sees the limits of our ability to intervene in the happiness of others or indeed in the intervene in the specifics of our own life. You know, we can't control these bodies. We can't control the aging process. I can't control the fact that I now need a light to read my notes to give a Dharma talk and a year ago I didn't. And this is, this is what bodies do. They, you know, they do their thing. And uh, with equanimity, we can meet all that without going out of relationship to it. So equanimity is a, still a relational quality. Yeah, it's, not a, it's not an indifference, it's not a checking out, but it's a, an ability to meet what's here with a sense of balance. So really, um, it's good to name these qualities, particularly kindness, but all four of them, kindness, compassion, this appreciative joy called mudita and equanimity and to hold them in mind as kind of orienting principles for how we want to use our mindfulness and to develop this heart in order uh, that mindfulness be in the service of a happy life and uh, of the happiness not just of ourselves but of this world that we're living in. And if we appreciate these qualities in ourselves and appreciate them in one another, then we can start to gravitate there. And as I said earlier this afternoon, the famous tenet of these teachings is that whatever a person frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. So let the warmth of your heart go out to all beings everywhere. So let's just sit quietly for a moment.